Hey Chasers, Aaron here. I wanted to talk about our sponsor, Wilderness Trail Distillery. If you want a great whiskey without the fake legends and made-up history, try some Wilderness Trail Fine Kentucky Bourbon. It's made by master distiller Shane Baker and fermentation expert Pat Heist, who you've heard on the podcast, at their distillery in Danville, Kentucky. They make a weeded bourbon, a high rye bourbon, and a Kentucky-grown rye whiskey. Wilderness Trail is offered in bottled in bond or cask strength. It's non-chill filtered, and the mash bill is on the side of every bottle, so you know what you're buying. This is real information, not some magical recipe or who Shane's great-great-grandpa is. I'm telling you, keep an eye out for Wilderness Trail in your favorite store. If you happen to see a barrel pick or special release of Wilderness Trail on the shelf at your store, grab it. It's not going to last long. If you want more information, check them out online at wildernesstraildistillery.com. Hey, whiskey fans. I'm Steve Coombs, whiskey presenter and writer, and also the programming director for the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. Poor Dram, settle in. This is the Cast Chasers Podcast. cast chasers welcome to the show um i have a great guest um you probably know him from whiskey wash maybe bourbon banter if you've been to the kentucky bourbon festival i'm sure you've seen him poking around having conversations um he's a whiskey journalist food journalist speaker educator lover of food and spirits been in the business for 30 years i'm 40 so when i was 10 he was he was probably a rock star by then so i have a lot to learn from him hopefully you do too <laughs> welcome my guest steve coombs steve how are you buddy i'm doing great i'm feeling flattered yeah no I no anyone would, would refer to me as a rock star in any way <laughs> well you thank can, you though if you're going to build a show a podcast around um a specific thing and you have that much passion it it only makes sense that it comes with rock stars and celebrities that that mean something to us when i was talking to when i talk to friends about what i do and i say have oh, steam Co steve coombs coming on and they're like who's that and i'm like oh yeah i forgot you don't know anything about my world outside of your world so but to me <laughs> and to my listeners you are you're you're very important Steve, 30 years in the business, man. I mean, what have you, you have seen the ebb and flow of this industry and the food industry for that matter, kind of become, I guess, this thing it is today, which is its own living being, thanks to Instagram and social media, of course. But can you talk about what you've seen and the bigger changes? Yeah, it's funny. So uh, to, to make the numbers Correct. I've, I've only been involved in the spirits industry for about 10 years. Mm. And so if you do the math from 2022 back, you know that bourbon was just starting to take off. Um, I wasn't even a bourbon drinker uh, until then. I was always a tequila and gin fan, wine fan, craft beer, pretty much everything, right? Mm. But when I was 15 and was a busboy in fine dining restaurant, I always loved telling a story. I would have to come in every day at four o'clock and usually there was a, a captain or an assistant waiter. I mean, it was, this is black tie stuff and they were all there. They were doing their side work and we were preparing for that evening. We would open up at five 30 and on this particular day, there was nobody there. And I'm like, where are these guys? Man, this, this isn't good. 
Well, they show up at about 4.45, stumbling off a school bus, and they and all of them ready to go to work. And they had been to Maker's Mark. This is 1980. Sure. And they had been there for a tour, and they were they were they were they were three sheets of the wind, but they were well served. And I'd seen Maker's Mark. I'd seen it on our bar at the restaurant where I worked. And trust me, it was a rare thing if you ever heard ice shaking in a in a Boston shaker. It was yeah. just boring stuff. It was all fine wine and stuff like that. But those guys that night were so busy talking at the table about this great whiskey called Maker's Mark. And it's only available in 13 states. <laughs> I kept saying, that's how small whiskey was, you know, from the time that I really got an introduction to it yeah. on premise, you know, which is where a lot of these great brands were uh, formulated. So I went from fine wine to craft beer to being uh, writing a story for Southern Living Magazine. And the person who was in charge of tourism in Barstown at the time said, what do you mean you don't drink bourbon? I said, well, you know, just kind of keeling whiskey guy. And she said, nobody's going to write about my town unless they go into Heaven Hill right now and have a, a whiskey t- or bourbon taste. And Steve Coombs, get in there right now. And it's it's a true story. Literally, yeah. the, the lights came on at that moment. And it took me all of about 10 minutes to look around and go, you're in, you're in Louisville, Kentucky, son. Yeah. Start writing about this. Yeah. And 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 that would that would have been about year twenty one in my career as a restaurant journalist, and I have largely moved out of that and into the spirits business because it's so much fun. Yeah. And and I'm right here, you know. When when magazines and stuff want something, I'm like, yeah, it's a fifty minute drive, it's a ten minute drive, it's yeah, maybe that one's a wilderness trail is an hour and thirty minute drive. Yeah. Everybody else is hopping on an airplane. Yeah. Well, so I'm right here, Kentucky. I mean. Today, it's obvious it's synonymous with whiskey, but I mean, there was a time when, like you said, it was just, lack of better terms, it's what your dad drank. It was that hot medicine on the shelf that maybe a crusty detective poured himself a glass of after a shift or something, but people weren't, people weren't, you know, there wasn't a secondary market. There wasn't, you know, this climbing to the top reach for the next release and the layman being as educated as they are now and the groups and podcast for that matter, they, that didn't exist. I think, and stop me if I'm wrong. And one of the things I appreciate you and people like you, I think the appreciation of food as an art form allowed things like wine and spirit to be appreciated. And then from that social media allowed everyone to be a part of it, not just the elite. So where you're a room and makers mark or one of the 13 States back then, that's crazy to even think of. Um, Now we can all be in that room metaphorically. And it's, it's thanks to writers like you that are offering the material and a byproduct of salesmanship there too, because we're reading about it and it creates this want and need and passion from food to whiskey, your appreciation for food. And I've read a lot of your articles on food and I've read your articles on whiskey too. Can you talk about the comparison a little bit? I mean, why should, and I am an appreciator. Why should we appreciate spirits in this case, whiskey, like we do food is why is it an art form? I mean, what's going into it? Why Why is it worth writing about? Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, put that I in one Max episode. Max Shapiro at Heaven Hill, the president, or actually the executive chairman as a couple of weeks ago, he says, 
we're as much as crack we're as much craft whiskey makers as anybody in this business he said we're just doing it at scale mm. so and that's true the math changes and the equipment changes sure so you know whether you're making it from you know a pot still or a column still it takes a lot of precision it takes a lot of knowledge of the elements the ingredients you know as, as you would in a, refer to in food um so I, I think in that respect that it's every bit as respectable as as a wine now why, why do i think it's great um to pair with and, and and i do a lot of food and whiskey pairings did one about seven years ago was my first and it was country ham and i had just finished a book called um country ham southern tradition of hogs salt and smoke and literally when i was writing the book i was eating some country ham that was sent to me by a maker who had sliced a prosciutto style, so it's just paper thin, and sipping some whiskey with it. And I said, oh my gosh, this goes amazingly well together. And even my own mind didn't want to accept that because I was just like, wine is supposed to go with food. <laughs> and it was a real stretch in, in, in my food service coverage that people were doing beer paired dinners. I mean, just, that, just, that, that really bothered the effete wine taste because mm. we you know, this is what it's always supposed to be wine. Well, no, it's not supposed to be wine. It's supposed to be all of it properly right. managed. Um, we drink very differently from the Europeans. Europeans don't drink wine generally unless there's food around or anything. That's just, it's, 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 it is combined at the start. It's not an afterthought. It's not going to a pub and having a few beers and then going out and getting dinner. It's very different. And so I, I approached whiskey like that too and, and started to study what pairs best and why. And the simple answer to that is fatty foods because mm. whiskey is so powerful on the palate. Fat coats the palate and whiskey scrubs it off and makes this completely new experience. Yeah. And it's so much fun. And it doesn't take a lot of money to do it. Um, I think one of the points that you alluded to earlier was whiskey is still as approachable as it ever was. Mm. You know, uh, back when wine was such a big thing in the 80s, still affordable, but St. Maker's Mark that was available in 13 American states is still less than $30 a bottle. Yeah. You know, most wine friends of mine would not not start pairing until they're up at 60, 70, 80 bucks a bottle for really good stuff. Yeah. So it's it's still an every man's thing and country ham and whiskey in my pairing and chocolate and cheeses and things like that are still every man ingredients. So um I, I, I love that. I love turning people on to that combination of whiskey and food. Whiskey neat. Whiskey cocktails are good with food, but nothing's like whiskey neat with food. We did mind. a... Um, did I answer that? That was a Oh, no. That was, that was excellent. That, that was exactly where I was going, and it kind of leads to my, my hope of the direction of this conversation. I, I did a tasting. I was invited to a tasting uh, hosted in D.C., hosted by um, our friends at Bardstown, and... Um, it was a it was a Bardstown tasting. We had a Michelin star chef um, creating amazing dishes, and it was a whiskey pairing. You got a dram of whiskey and a and a um, complimentary uh, cocktail to go with it, and then the dish. And a lot of the conversation there was, of course, you know, I'm a whiskey person. I'm a whiskey person, but I'll, and I was with with whiskey people. But there were people there that aren't whiskey people. And the fear of, we're, I can't believe we're drinking whiskey, and how do you pair whiskey? And the same conversation I was having with these new folks 
was whiskey does a great job of holding on and then separating, changing, and giving you a different experience. I think where you pair a wine with a food, with a whiskey, you're pairing, but you're also, you have to be ready for a different experience. And it really is going to change the outcome of the dish and how it performs. And it's just in itself an amazing ingredient with cooking or cocktails or whatever whatever may be. That's why I'm so in love with whiskey. And believe it or not, for the listeners, a lot of makers, and, and Steve, maybe you can agree to this, a lot of these distillers, they're thinking about food when they're making it. You know, they're looking for different flavor profiles and they're connecting that. I was talking to Peggy No, um, a legend. And when they're doing taste, right, when they're doing tastings and pairings or blending, they're thinking through a pantry. They're thinking of foods, things they, you know, grew up on or fresh peaches or whatever it may be. So food is definitely a part of the experience. You agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, how many times do you see um, whiskey? reviews that that always link back to food elements you know something that somebody cooked something that you know their grandmother's kitchen smelled like but mm. you know I, I love this story about parker bean for those of you who are listening and may not know him parker was the master distiller at heaven hill for more than 50 years and just a simple tactical whiskey maker and he was talking to his um his PR representative at the time, Larry Cass, about all these whiskey writers. And he said, and I, 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 I didn't get to hear Parker speak. So you can just, you know, take the impersonation for what it's worth. He's, I know, I know he's a country fellow. And he said, Larry, I don't know how all these whiskey writers are getting all these food notes out of my bourbon. All I taste is bourbon, good or bad. That was it. Yeah. And, and you got to love that because that allowed him to focus so closely on making the whiskey great mm-hmm. from 1975 to well into the 2000s. To your point, not everybody sees it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, oh, you have such a great palate. I said, I don't, it's not a, I think so much of my palate is experience. You know, I was in restaurants for 11 years, eight of them in the kitchen, and you're tasting constantly all the time. And you're building that mental library without even knowing it. And it's a training to tell you what that's when that dish is correct because it tastes like that. And then you back, you could back that out and, and think of all the ingredients that went into a specific dish. Well, the same thing happens with whiskey. You taste that and you're thinking, you know, I'm getting bacon spices. I'm, you know, that comes from the yolk. I'm getting, you know, this mouthfeel that comes from the grain, all these things. And it's just, it's just practice. Hang around with the people who are knowledgeable, you know, instead of the people that say, oh, well, Whitford's my go-to. And that's, yeah. that's you know, that's just what I like. And that's yeah. okay. You can have your go-to of whatever it is, but about 20% of the whiskey tasters overall really like the experience that we're talking about. That's multifaceted and, and complex and flavorful. And it's fun to talk about around the fire or over the phone, or over a podcast, you know? You know what I love about the the whiskey writers, and I've met a few, and people like yourself, um, specifically in the spirits industry, you know, when, you, when I tell people, you know, there's an article you should read, or I was talking to a whiskey writer, um, there's always this they conjure up ideas of, uh, of uh, pretentiousness, you know what I mean? And Mm-hmm. Which you get a lot of, and you know, G- in in clothing or fashion or whatever. Or this is what you where you should go or what you should wear. 
I think it's refreshing to hear somebody at your caliber, a writer, you know, as respected as you are, to say something along the lines of, you know, who cares if it's sourced? Who cares if it's this or that? A pre- Maker's Mark is an excellent whiskey. So who cares if you didn't spend $100 and you didn't have to search the East Coast for it? And, it, you know, um, just because you don't have Pappy on your shelf yeah. Yeah. Uh, doesn't mean you don't know what you're talking about. I, I, think, I think that makes people that are entering this wonderful uh, industry or, you know, experiencing whiskeys or wines or whatever, it's okay to to just enjoy it you don't have to have a vocabulary to to appreciate you know you don't have you don't have to have a james beard vocabulary to appreciate a good dish you can just say i like it it's great (laughs) i enjoyed it um and i think that is refreshing and i our listeners are compiled of people in the know and people in the don't know and i love when i'm interviewing somebody like you and it's i'm not scaring anyone off and it can be appreciated we can still nerd out but there's an appreciation there and a layman's side that I think is, I think is respectful. And I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and just the one thing I want to add, we're not all born with the same palette. Right. We're just not. Sure. Equipped. I mean, I, I worked for an editor years ago in a restaurant magazine and he said, there are fuelers and there are diners. He said, people, some people just want to get full and move along. Others want the experience. And, and he said, neither is right. Neither is wrong. So I, I think that's fair. Yeah. I, I, I think the, it being a subjective art is a beautiful thing. Hi, do you know that I love milk and honey whiskey, right? I know it, babe. Right? Single malt Israeli whiskey? Yes. You know they make a gin, right? Yes. Yeah. It's called Levantine Gin. Okay. It's absolutely fantastic. And unlike any other gin I've ever had, because they're using all of these botanicals that are that are, are local to Israel, from Israel, including something called Zatar. Oh. Which you know, we, we cook with yeah, that. Yeah, it's a, a spice. It's a spice. It's a spicy. Mm-hmm. And it's delicious. You add that spiciness to the orange and the chamomile and some of the black pepper. It's just glorious. I wouldn't even put it with tonic. I would just sip it straight, maybe with a little cube. Oh, my. Would you do that? I maybe would try it. Okay. Can maybe. we do that now? We could do that. Okay. Are you as proud a sponsor of the Cast Chasers podcast as Impex is? Loud and proud, babe. Boom. So we kind of tiptoed around it a little bit. I'm really curious to kind of, you know, what you were a chef, um, correct, for a long time. I don't know a long time is the word, but you worked in restaurants. You worked as a Eight chef. Years long enough. Yeah, yeah right, yeah. right. Especially in that industry. So your palate, how would you define it? I mean, where where's your culinary experience brought you? And, you know, if I'm pouring you, if I'm picking a whiskey for Steve, you know, what, where am I drawing from? What's, what's your direction? And I'll, I'll give you an example by my own. I'm a, I grew up in the world of whiskey from the Marine Corps. Cigars, smoky, you know, briny, harsh whiskeys speak to me. I like loud, hot peppers. You know what I mean? I like spicy food. I love curry. I love things that are loud, aggressive, and annoying. I like to walk in a restaurant and smell what I'm about to eat. Um, Those are things that I appreciate. So that's, I like to say that because now you know what to pour me. You know what I mean? What's going to wake me up? What's your, what's your evolution look like in that world? And I know I'm asking these weird open questions, but I think the best thing about an open-ended yeah. question is it gives you a it gives you a blank canvas. Well, well, the the first brush, brush stroke on the canvas is that that's a, that's a 
a question I've never been asked and, and it's a bit complex. So bear with me as I think through it. You know, when you're working in the restaurant business, if you really enjoy it, anything goes and you'll taste and try anything. I think the only thing I found truly revolting was chitlins. <laughs> and uh, the guys who served it to me, uh, you know, just a couple of black guys uh, that I worked with just gobbled it up and loved it. And I said, man, I want to like it, but I just can't. Yeah. I just can't. <laughs> but uh, I've been there. it makes it, you know, you have to you have to try so many things whether you want to. You know, so it's open. My, my palate is wide open mm. and I love a story. And, and and I'm sure that sometimes I'm a sucker for a story, especially when delivered in context, like going out to um, Lost Whiskey House in Denver, where they really talk about grain, grain, grain all day long and, and how the terroir of Colorado is so pronounced in the grain that they get to use to distill. And when that story carries over back home in Louisville, and I'm still enjoying the whiskey, then I know that I've really caught on to something great. And right, so let's drill down a little bit further. Um, if 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 the doctor said, you know, bourbon's killing you, but rye won't hurt you, I would be just fine. Yeah. Because as much as I, I love, love bourbon, I'm really a rye fan. Yeah. I'm a big rye fan. And I love rye's nuance. It's spice. It's... Um, it's lightness in the mouth. People tell me, some people tell me about, you know, viscosity in a rye. Well, typically that's probably a Kentucky style rye with, you know, 30% mm-hmm. corn. And I'm, I'm really enjoying some of these hundred percent, 95, five rise because it's just so much fruit character and spice and well, they're my favorites and you can. Yeah, no, are I they're, they're your favorites. Yeah. Um, well, we are lucky enough out here to have Catoctin Creek um, and we're very friendly with them and they produce some amazing rise, Virginia rise. And their claim is they are the, they are the, um, the tip of the spear with rye, but the Kentucky, I mean, I mean, Woodford has a rye that I'm in absolutely in love with. Um, Angel's Envy has a rye that I'm absolutely in love with. I, I hated rye at the beginning because all I could taste was licorice, and it, 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 ironically, I have a very I love aggressive things, but rye, I could not get over that black licorice. And it, but over time, like you said, I just kept tasting different ones and trying different things, and and eventually, I found myself saying, you know what, I like most ryes. I hated two or three ryes, um, and I won't mention their names. Most of them were Canadian anyway, so. Um, we'll move past and yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just do. I, I love making cocktails. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love, I love neat whiskey. Um, yeah. I love. You know, I enjoy it on the rocks, but I really prefer it either neat or in a cocktail. And rye just pushes it, its way through so well, and, and reminds you clearly that you're drinking American whiskey. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, well, you know, of course, Canadian. Okay, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll do that purpose as well, but. Um, I also think that it's it's excellent with uh, food. Yeah. Um, one of the best pairings I think I've ever had was um, was uh, a Knob Creek was mm. it a Knob Creek one fifteen proof rye single mm-hmm. barrel with um, gigantic Fred Flintstone dinosaur size beef ribs. Yes. And it just it just blew through that fat and that um, you know that bark that was on the the 
the ribs and it just was it was outrageously good yeah and for a whiskey to stand up to something like that you know you gotta have a lot of spice you gotta have a lot of proof i think too but um rye just sings in my mouth oh, yeah. i really, really a good whiskey and, I mean, a good whiskey and a good piece I was of, gonna say, yeah and the, my, my, my first rye whiskey the same fair was mixtures 25 you start on a cliff. You, you, I started. You can't start mountain climbing and start with Everest. At 20 yeah. Feet, yeah. Um, yeah. And had no idea. I, I knew how delicious it was, but I had no idea how generous yeah. um, Mictridge was in pouring that at the Bourbon Classic in 2015. What a gorgeous one. My favorite cocktails are rye, but uh, cast strength is what really works for me sometimes. Um, Sagamore has a uh, uh, cast strength rye that's abs- it's our favorite in an old-fashioned. Um, a paper plane, one of my favorite drinks of all time. Awesome drink. Yeah. And that Friday night. Yes. Um, and then we, my wife and I, have, have really gotten in, gotten into gin fizzes. We we just got back from New Orleans mm. and beautiful city. Uh, well, it has its moments. Um, and <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, so and we it's had aromas. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had, so we had a uh, Ramos gin fizz and we came home and I thought, well, I'm a whiskey guy. I wonder if I can do a bourbon gin fizz. And I did. And it was okay. It needs to be a gin fizz. It cannot be a bourbon fizz. <laughs> um, so not bourbon's not for everything, in my opinion. But it, it does have its place in most things. So um, I, I just thought, you know, if you're going to make... I had a tequila old-fashioned that, that was amazing. So I, I'm now in this world of can I make other drinks with bourbon that aren't traditionally bourbon. And so far, I'm 01. So... We'll uh, we'll see where I can go from there, but um, so no food is a big part of what we do too, and we do a lot of dinner tastings and pairings, cast chasers um, for for you and for the, some of the listeners that may not know is we educate on the side, and one of our favorite things to do is meet a restaurateur, a chef, and then do a pairing, a tasting, and everything I hear afterwards was I can't believe how easy it was to do that. And what I think the secret is, it's it's whiskey goes with everything. That's why it was so easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, You know, it's you might start with a sweeter whiskey, or if you're a big pungent, you know, we did venison with uh, with the Stag Junior, and it really worked really well. You know, and then we ended um, with um, an Irish whiskey with dessert. So you have to be able to play chess appropriately, but I really don't think there's a wrong oh, way well, to do it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, I, I think any kind of, of a food and alcoholic beverage pairing, the, the, the one thing that links wine, beer and spirits is their ability to complement and cleanse. Does it, mm. does it really go along with the food that's before it? And does it cleanse the palate and leave you still thinking of either the food or the or the spirit or, or the or the the beverage? And I think whiskey does the best job of cleansing the palate, and and that's exciting and it's invigorating and it's not overwhelming when you've had some food that leads the way, you know. And I'll I'll kind of I'll work with different uh, distilleries and and of course they want their product out there, you know, to be they want their product first in the mouth, but I don't think that's the way to go. I think the way to go is food first, follow it with the yes. spirit. Yes. And then 
it just, it blooms into something completely different. If you coat the palate first with food, especially something like, you know, country ham is just a ringer now for me. I know it's going to work because it's got the, the quality stuff that I'm getting is a nice fatty edge and, and was made from pigs that led good lives until that one bad day. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it just is laying down um, a primer coat of something really beautiful that that whiskey is going to color and complement. You have me craving country ham now. So bravo, <laughs> bravo for planting that in yeah. my head. Well, send me a reminder and I will bring you some when yeah. I see you in, in Barstown. I, I really will. Yeah, I love that. absolutely love that. I'm looking forward to meeting up with you there. So we're wrapping up. I have one more um, question for you. And I ask a lot of people this, and I'm going to ask it differently to you. It's the worst question you can ask somebody in the whiskey world. But I'm going to ask it differently because of my respect for you. I don't want to know your favorite whiskey or distillery. Um, who, in your opinion, has the best story? Oh my gosh! You mean you mean as a distillery or yeah, what? Yeah, sure. Or either or, either or. I, I just probably because I've gotten to spend so much time with them. Um, Fred knows is my mm. favorite storyteller in the business um, because he's just he's so himself. You know, I've seen him, you know, in so many different situations and he is 100% the same dude all the time yeah. and all the stories just pour out of him and it's, it's a blast. And you think, why would this guy tell me to come over, see him sometime? You know, is, is he serious? Is he, yeah, he's serious. Come see him. I love that. And he's such a genuinely interesting, open dude. Yeah. Um, I, I wish I could tell, I wish I could just think up some of his stories uh, you know uh, well if i tried to tell him it wouldn't be any good but i mean his his are, his are <laughs> just hysterical hysterical so um yeah he's my favorite uh, and I, I love i'm a huge and, and just to kind of dovetail in a little more about him i'm a huge knob creek yeah uh, barrel pick fan i've got some geezer 15 year 14 years that i paid a whopping you know, I think the most I paid for any of them was fifty dollars, and those yeah. were probably for a charitable contribution. I just think they it just blows me away when the company has a jewel like that and goes, oh, "Let's make, let's take that whiskey and let's put it down, and let's do this." And and uh, I guarantee Fred just is smart and bites his tongue and does what he's told to do because um, that's just the way it is. That but, is a uh that is an incredible whiskey too. I mean, Knob Creek is so easily obtainable. The nine year, the 15, I mean, they're, they, they earn their, their, their rank among, you know, some of the bigger whiskeys. I mean, I say bigger whiskeys, they are huge, but they're so easily obtainable and so absolutely delicious. And I'll give a, I put those two, I put Knob Creek probably at my top of the list when I'm talking bourbon. Um, and then of course I throw out the old granddad because that's that, that's that for some odd reason, unknown, delicious, um, you know, outlier that I appreciate. But that's the second time I've heard somebody say that Mr. No is an amazing Beth Burroughs, who's a good friend of ours, who works uh, obviously. Good friend of mine, yeah, too. Yeah, she's an amazing yeah. human being. And uh, she's told me how many stories she's heard sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair, just listening to epic um, tales and you know how are, are he's they, a wind up toy yeah 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 you get him going um my my dream <laughs> is to get him going. 
Yeah, hopefully one day I hear something. If not from him, one of the other no boys. But um, and, and his son Freddie is a great yeah. storyteller. Yeah, too. We, we we had a we had a little dicey thing. He and I were doing a whiskey and ham pairing and at the Bourbon Festival last fall, and he lives a golf cart right away, and he shows up for the for the presentation, and he's I said, "Where's the whiskey?" He's like. You said you were bringing the whiskey. I said, no, I didn't. I said, I was bringing the event. You got to bring the whiskey. You're a whiskey man. I'm bringing ham. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he says, wait a minute. Let me run over to the beam tent and see if I can have them. And they actually had all five of the whiskeys that we chose yeah. to use, which was a miracle in itself. And so while we're scrambling to set up and pour, you know, for 52 people who are, you know, so where's our tasting? Mm-hmm. He starts telling stories. <laughs> and it was like, damn, this kid's a pro. Yeah. And not all, well, he's not a kid. I mean, he's in his thirties. He, yeah. he is a, he's, uh, he's a powerful presence on his own as funny as his dad, but very different from his dad, um, as, as a person and a distiller. Yeah. And I just have the highest hopes and highest expectations for what's going to come out under his watch. Yeah. Um, I've had the pleasure just, just yeah, of speaking with him, and he really he he cares as much, and sees it as a legacy. And I, I agree. I think we're going to see some really cool stuff come from that. So, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, if you get those guys to tell stories about Booker, yeah, yeah, those are the ones. Yeah, <laughs> that's when it gets funny. That's oh. when it gets funny because a lot of finger pointing goes on. Yeah. Because Freddie knew that um, if if Fred were mad at him uh, or was mad at him, he could always go hide with Booker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Lee Maloney's just a boy. Yeah. Oh, if I could get into that family diary and just read the the from from back when to now, all the chaos and but it's all I mean, I don't want to sound cheesy, but you can taste it in the bottle. I mean, every legacy, every family, I mean, they 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 hold the personalities of the people who made them or blended them and I think that's just probably one of the coolest things. But well, Steve, um this has been like most of my favorite episodes um too fast and we are already touching on 40 minutes and i could talk to you for hours um and i'm i'm now i'm very excited can you believe it's been 40 minutes i mean i feel like i just started talking to you um time just goes by too fast why i interview people for a living yeah it's a blast it's it's amazing you have been great and i cannot wait to meet up with you in kentucky before we go, um, can you tell my listeners um, where they can find you, where they can read your stuff, and uh, maybe maybe some a little more about you? Where they how the, how can they get to know Steve Combs a little bit better? So um, my uh, some of my core clients in in the, the journalism side of the business is, are, are, includes Bourbon Plus. I write quite a bit for Bourbon Plus magazine. Write quite a bit for the Whiskey Wash. I do a monthly commentary there, thewhiskeywash.com. I do, um, I'm the editor of bourbonbanter.com. So uh, we're ramping that up again to, to make it a kind of a fully dimensional, you know, uh, whiskey website that, that it's got such great core mm. information there too. And uh, at the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, I'm doing, um, uh, I'm the director of content program, as I mentioned. So we still have tickets. Yes. Uh, we still have general admission tickets. It is the, let's see, the 16th through the 18th of September in Bardstown, Kentucky. So um, I also do a lot of contract work that you probably read that's on distillery websites. And I can't 
chose their brand names, but uh, I give them content and and uh, I, I love it. People are like, don't you wish your name was on it? It's like the name's on the check, baby. Yeah, right. This is, this is freelance 101. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't have to get credit for it. I just have to pay. I love that. I love that. So uh, yeah, and, and Facebook. I'm at Steve Coombs, and Instagram. I'm I'm kind of. I'm a slacker there. So yeah, us too. But you know, we're learning. We're learning as we go. But we'll hopefully we'll get you some more followers. And um, again, everyone, listen. You know, go read Steve's work. Go see what he's talking about. I'm a big fan of uh, Bourbon Banter Whiskey Wash. Um, he has some other articles outside of the uh, whiskey world too. Um, although we're a whiskey podcast, I uh, always want you to go find more about food, spirits, and the wonderful world of things to put in your face. So, uh, and uh, the people that write about those things. So that's even better. Steve, it has been an absolute blast hanging out with you and talking with you. Thank you so much. And um, cheers. Pleasure's all mine, Bobby. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Take care. All right, Chasers, that'll do it for now. If this was your first time tuning in, what took you so long? All jokes aside, we're so happy to welcome you to the Cast Chasers family, and we definitely hope you'll come back for more next week. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, in short, wherever you listen to podcasts. And give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cast Chasers. You can even join our Facebook group for bonus points. And if you want even more Cast Chasers, check out our website, castchasers.org, for show notes, Cast Chaser swag, and more. Until next time you join us, remember, it's not about finding the perfect dram. It's all in the chase.